Hello there, my friend. Welcome back. You know, what's funny is um, I promised you that I was going to do like these hot takes at the end of my guest interviews because, well, long story for another day and we will go there another day. But some of my guest interviews have been going a little bit too long. So because they're so good and I just like can't stop our chats. So I have all but sort of skipped out on the hot takes for the past couple of episodes. And I think it's going to be more of like this little like random, not consistent thing, which is actually weirdly hard for me not to be consistent with something. Um, but it's going to be this little bit of a more random experience. And you'll also get to hear my hot takes uh, in the in-between episodes when I do go it alone. More news on going it alone next week, which I'm definitely going to keep you in suspense for until next week, but I'm making some big announcements, so please stay tuned. But let's not fast forward. Let's stay here and now, today, this week. To kick off the month of May, which is also my birth month, um, I'm talking with my guest, a repeat guest, a returning guest, Christina Granahan, an Enneagram coach, and we're going to be talking all about communication styles of the Enneagram. Now, if you have listened to my other Enneagram episodes, you may know that I am rather obsessed with the Enneagram, and I have been with personality and learning about other humans in general since I was a very young child. But here is why I especially love, or I feel drawn to learning about the Enneagram and diving into it more. Number one, I love that it's not just like another personality test. It really does have to do with a combination of how you came into the world, your 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 essence, if you will. You know, like maybe she was born with it, maybe it's Maybelline. Um, but also the unique impression that the world or life has made on you since you were a child. So it's really like a combination of like how you came in and also how your experiences have impacted you. Number two, I love that it's not just like a, well, here's who I am. I am who I am. It's really a, it's not, it's not an excuse for who you are. It's really of like an empowering, I think, path forward and a growth tool. And trust me, We all have growth opportunities here, no matter what your Enneagram type is. I have read about all of them, every single one of them, very deeply. And there are some great things about every single type. And there are also some deep, dark, dastardly things about every single type. So we all have growth opportunities and work to do no matter who we are. Not one is better than the other. Uh, Number three, I also love that it's given me a stronger vocabulary and words to use to describe like how I feel and how I think and how I operate in the world. It's been extremely helpful in helping me to identify, oh, this is actually what's happening in this situation and where I can um, work on things as well. And speaking of words, that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about the words of different Enneagram types, but uh, really just, you know, the words of different people and the words of different personalities in general and how really deepening this understanding of one another's communication types, we can become better friends. We can become better spouses. We can become better business owners and human beings because we're coming from a place of more understanding and more empathy for one another. And I also want to add in just this one little thing here, because if you listen all the way through, which I highly encourage, I told Christina towards the end of the episode that I would need to sit back and think about my experience with shame. And so I did. Um, But I was sitting down to write my notes for introducing Christina 
And I realized that actually in learning my own Enneagram type and really sinking into it, because it took me a long time to A, accept which one I thought I was, but B, just really like sink into it and say like, you know what, I think this is actually it. Um, So in that whole process, I've actually bumped into a lot of feelings of shame. And before I knew how to like really uh, describe it, I think I would have just identified it as like poking fun at myself or who I am or calling out where I'm a little neurotic and joking about it. But what I really am experiencing deep down inside and my way of combating that is like making fun of it. But what I'm really experiencing deep down inside is shame. And the other day, like someone called my attention. Someone called attention to something that I do, okay? Something I do often (laughs) that helps me to feel safe and secure. And when they called me out on it, it was like sort of to poke fun at it. But I, because I always poke fun at it. So they were like, all right, fair game. She always makes fun of this. I can make fun of this. But when I heard them say it, I realized that I felt so shameful about it. Like I felt so shameful that about a number of things, but specifically like that I was in fact so good and uh, what that routine was so important to me or that like I follow up did come really, really naturally to me or that I was so organized or like it doesn't matter what the thing is, but it was a very, very interesting realization. And that's what I love about the Enneagram. That's what I love about all of this because you become more self-aware, not just of like what, uh, not just of the what you do or the who you are, but like why and what's really going on under some of these things that just look like everyday personality things, like everyday behaviors. And when we, when we bring those things to light, those darker parts of us, I think that's when we really can heal from them and move through them to a path of growth. And I promised you, I promised you a couple months ago, I have made a new habit of not further adoing. So I shall not further ado. I shall introduce my guest, uh, Christina Granahan. Christina has been curious about people her entire life like me. In elementary school, she told her teacher that she wanted to be a social worker. So It was obviously no surprise to anyone when she graduated with her master's of social work in 2022. She spent a lot of her career working with teens and adults. um, And about 15 years ago, she expanded her work to include coaching and consulting with staff groups, supervisors, directors around clinical issues, and uh, leadership and leadership development and team building. But since then, Christina has deeply focused in on the Enneagram because initially the reason she was doing it was to get clarity on some of her own relationships in her own life. But through learning about it, she discovered that just like Taylor Swift says, like, hi, I'm the problem. It's me. She was the problem. I mean, we're all the problem. More accurately, Christina discovered that she was the only one that she actually could control and change. So since that first course, she's really immersed herself in the Ross, Ross, Ross Hudson tradition, attending the Enneagram Institute, participating in a course on the Enneagram and Conscious Living, and she's currently completing a certification course in teaching the Enneagram to beginners as well as advanced learners. Christina is an expert in personality development, developmental trauma, and the Enneagram, and she's committed to helping others live more consciously, make more informed decisions in their lives, and to tell the truth. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hi, Christina, and welcome back to the She Built This podcast. Hi, Emily. I'm so glad to be here. 
I'm so excited. You're one of the, I'm picking like just a few specific people that I wanted to have back because we kind of like scratched the surface on a conversation that could have been many, many, many conversations as you and I know, because we have many, many, many conversations. <laughs> um, that's sort of why you're here. And the last time I looked back, the last time you were a guest on my show was actually 2021. So it's been two years. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of like, Maybe what's changed for you during that time or um, any sort of epiphanies or unlearnings or relearnings that you've gained through the past two years? Yeah. Um, so I'll say that, you know, while the world has shifted, I think, back to doing much more in-person work, um, I have found that I can reach so many more people and I can do so many uh, I can do more of this work by continuing my work online. So I never went back to um, one on, I never went to in-person work. Although I, as you know, cause I've spoken to you about it. I have this itch to do a retreat an in-person retreat. I have a, an itch to do a residential retreat and just something in the daytime. So I'm cooking up some stuff there. I think that the biggest thing that's changed for me and my business actually, since I last was here was I, and I must've, I was probably in it. I'm not sure when I was here, but I was in a, um, like a graduate level, really rigorous course, um, around conscious living. And now I'm in the teacher training portion of that course. So that course was like 15 months. It was like 10 or 15 hours a week, 10 hours a week, something like that. And then I'm in the teacher training portion and I'll wrap that up later this summer. Um, and I've done some intensives in, um, breath work and releasing trauma from the body and some, uh, compassionate inquiry work. So a lot of inquiry work, um, I love to learn, but I also love that each of these, I sort of, I sort of do the work that I need for myself. I think I feel like that's where I'm called. And so they all require me to explore something on my own. And then that brings me back in to be doing this alongside my clients. I bring it to my clients and I think I'm, I show up more consciously with them when I'm sort of in the work also. I love that. Because I love, I mean, like you, I like to learn all the time, but like knowledge without us actually putting it into action is kind of useless. Yeah. But in addition to that, you're like really, when you, when you, uh, use it for yourself in your own work, in your own life, it's like embodying it in a whole new way. So you really understand it, not just like know how to teach it, but you've yeah. like actually lived it. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people listening have heard about the Enneagram and have probably heard your podcast as well as a recent one that I did on the Enneagram. But I always like to just, you know, kind of give a baseline. So I'd love to do an Enneagram sort of run through for people who may not know what it is or um, how to sort of sort through all of the different quote types that are out there. Okay. So tell me... Um... Feel free to um, interrupt me because what I what I really think is a different uh, I'm going to say a different take on the enneagram than probably <clears throat> you know most people will come and talk about it is I I like to talk about it now from the perspective of just personality development and so just like taking a quick step backwards and and really I really do mean it if I start to go into the weeds pull me out but. Um, I will say that sort of universally, like human beings have this experience of being in the in utero, we are in our mother's belly and 
all of our needs are taken care of. Our self-preservation needs were fed. We're sort of ha- we sort of belong someplace. We are actually one with. So it's this ultimate attachment. And the most Dan Siegel, who's a, a famous psych- psychologist, uh, actually, he's a famous. He's a neuroscientist, a psychiatrist, I think. And it, he says, like, from the moment we're born till the moment we die, we have to fight for everything we want. And so, and I think about that, like if, as babies, if we don't cry, we don't get fed. If our, if our caretaker leaves the room, we might think they never come back. If we aren't held when we want to be held, we get antsy. Um, An unheld baby will actually die. So there's like these basic needs that we have. And uh, so what he talks about is sort of how we're fighting for those things. And all at the same time, like we're developing this self, this identity, this way of showing up in the world. And, um, and I'll say that, you know, there's nine parts. Every personality has nine parts to it. There's a lot of um, data. I will not get into it now, but there's been a lot of longitudinal studies in the recent past that support this. But this is really the way the Desert Fathers and mystics and shamans have described us um, from the beginning of time. So there's nine parts of our personality. We're born with one sensitivity. Um, one of those nine parts is sort of this, this, this place that holds our greatest gifts, but also our greatest liabilities. I think it's the place that tends to get us hung up. And so, so this sensitivity sort of ultimately becomes our Enneagram type. And I think that the difference between, um, you know, Enneagram work and sort of other personality type work is that Enneagram work. I would argue is a much, has a much more sort of, um, it was birthed out of a, I would say a spiritual process. And, um, and I think it really digs deep into human development, personality development, and, uh, really comes at this from this perspective that we're, we're, we're always growing. We are always becoming, and that there are ways in which we have left that sort of best part of who we are. And we were trying to get back there. That's sort of what we're mm. all trying to do. And so the Enneagram helps us to know how to do that. Um, how do we get back to sort of, I hate to say best because it, it, it implies uh, destination. And I don't think of it like that, but just how do we keep staying conscious and um, receiving all the information that we can and um, processing information in the best way possible so that we show showing up as real he- human beings. And I think of the Enneagram as that. It like teaches us how to interact with each other at a very human level, not at a my type, your type, my personality, your personality. There's a lot that gets in the way there. Yeah, because I think a lot of what you talk about is actually that your personality, like you can really bump into your own personality and it's sort of like being the problem in your own universe. Yes. Um, yeah, it makes the unconscious conscious. I mean, the Enneagram helps us to understand and bring what's been unconscious to a conscious level. Can we walk through maybe the gift and liability of each one? But what what I also want to um, bring up is the three centers of intelligence and how it, I think just that might help people to identify um, themselves in it. And then we can get into kind of like where some of the tripping up points are. Sure, 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 sure. So I think we'll start in the body center, which are types eight, nine, and one. And for those people who live in the body center, they, um, you know, actually, Emily, if it's okay with you, I'm going to start 
I'm going to, since your podcast is speaking to business owners, I'm going to start with an example, if that's okay. And it might be yeah. something to point back to. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so, so let's think about, there's, I, I don't, I don't need to get into, there's, a, I was going to start with triggers, but we don't need to even get there. Let's just say, say you're a, you're a web designer and you need some contract back from a prospective client. So you, so you can be anything, you don't have to be a web designer, you can be whatever you want. And it's not coming in. The average person is going to create some story around that. It, they're going to sort of say, um, this, this potential client isn't going to hire me. Maybe they've changed their mind. Maybe they're just disrespectful and they don't care about my deadline. Um, maybe I suck, you know, maybe you don't, you don't like me. They don't like me. Um, and these stories start to get more and more specific about why this prospective client hasn't returned the contract. Oh, I can tell you exactly why they didn't return the contract. (laughs) (laughs) And you're sure you're right. Correct. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent right. Because of your, it's, and I'm sure, do you mind if I ask you what you would say? What do you think? Oh, I just, I just would find them to be flaky and disrespectful mm-hmm. to my process. And then I would just be like, all right, I guess it's not a good fit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So like oftentimes those stories get really specific based on the type and they're usually familiar stories. So it's like, if your story is they don't respect my timeline, there's always this invitation in the work. We won't get into this here, but there's always this invitation to like, is that a familiar belief for you? Like, when was the last time you felt disrespected by something? And oftentimes, this is the first aha people come to the work with is like, oh my God, that happens all the time to me. And when you can sort of separate yourself from it, is it realistic that it really happens all the time? Well, it happens all the time because you are the you are the person that has a lens that is putting it through the disrespect glasses the other person is just saying, um, is just not returning the contract, but you've attached some story to it. So that's the beginning. That's a great example of sort of how we might look at type. So for those in like the body center, eight, nine, and one, they might start to feel resentful, angry. They might even feel some rage about this contract not being returned. Um, it might trigger stuff around control, respect, agency. They don't respect me. They're not letting me do my job. Um, and there might be types that are going to be much more aware of that and other types that are less aware. So our reaction or our response to life is, uh, sort of dependent on the center in which our type lives. So eight, nine, and one live in the body center. It means that they tend to process information using their bodies. They feel things in their bodies. They sense things. They might have strong gut reactions. They might be more impulsive, um, that tends to be, and they generally have an issue around anger. It doesn't mean that it's bad or rage, I would say. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that that tends to be a familiar feeling, either anger sent outward, anger felt inward, numbing yourself to anger, but anger tends to be something that um, fits in there. And I would say that what they're really going for is respect and autonomy. They want to know that they can live in the world by themselves without a ton of help and, um, and that they are sort of respected. So they, that, that might be their response to this like unreturned contract. It might have something around control, respect, agency. Um, I'll keep, you want me to keep going to the heart and the head center? Would that be helpful? Definitely. Yeah, I love this. Those living in the heart center, so types two, three, and four, they generally want to be seen a certain way. They tend to be, um, there's, like a, there's like an image that they have and they, they really work hard to uphold this image. And again, this is all not necessarily conscious. 
but um, those living in the heart center might feel a much more emotional sense um, react response or reaction to this. It might feel sadness. They might feel shame. They don't like me. There's something wrong with me. They might double down um, and deny the sadness and sort of move through hoops to like push their sense of value. Like, oh no, like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get that contract. I'm going to show them how good I am. I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing that they've hired me for. Um, um, there might be some sense of, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that would, might come up, you know, they, for the two, three, and four relationships are important. I would say being seen as valuable is important. Um, whether that be, uh, being seen as someone with a strong, um, like relation, relational way, or, or really just in terms of actually how they're doing the job, th those kinds are the kinds of things they're going to really pay attention to. And then those in the head center, uh, types five, six, and seven, um, they are concerned with safety, security. So they have a, their sort of response might be something that involves fear or a sense of unease about the whole thing. It might be security about money, about the actual income. So if we're talking about this, you know, this fake story about the web designer, um, but it, it might just be, it's like shaky ground, right? So, um, I'm never, I'm never going to get this done if they don't respond to it. I'm afraid they'll fire me or won't pay me if I don't get this contract back. Um, what if I can't get the job done? Um, a seven who lives in the, who lives in this triad, but really tries hard to deny that fear. They may just move ahead and completely blow the person off without ever sort of having a conversation or checking in or inquiring about the project. They just want to like, you know, they just want to move on. They're going to get out because that they're trying to avoid that sense of fear. But the five and the six, you know, they're going to, they're going to feel it, but their, re their response will really be something much more around unease. Um, and you can see if you can, if I'm describing it well, I don't know if it's coming across, but it's, there is a different quality, I would say, to the responses from the body center to the, to the heart center and to the head center. Not any one of them is better or worse than the other, but they just happen to be the sensitivity you're born with is going to fall in one of those centers. And that's going to be the place that you, that you respond from. So shifting gears, I guess, or incorporating this into like communication around these different centers or maybe even specific to the types. I was thinking, what if we kind of share where you see people getting hung up in the communication aspect of this? Um, and maybe it's related to the centers, but maybe it's also more specific to each type, like where you see them actually. Maybe we use the same example and we talk about like what the communication m might naturally be as opposed to when you are conscious what it could be like what the possibility of it could be yeah let's see so I think it might be easier to do it through the type to type so I'll go I'll try to fast track it um I tend to think so type eight I I tend to think is um they're in the body center um you you sense a type eight's physical presence you know and when you're talking to them and um sort of at this average way of showing up in the world. So say, let's just say without a lot of inner work or a lot of like, um, without someone who's been terribly aware, it, it might be very much of like blunt, I would say very direct. Um, no, yes, you're wrong. Don't do it that way. There's sort of this assumption that they, that they want you to be direct, that your client wants you to be direct. Um, 
you might, as a, you know, I, as a type eight might assume good intent. Like I might, you know, not think anything of it, but if I'm speaking to someone who doesn't come from um, the body type or perhaps like, let's say an eight is talking to a two, there's, it's very likely that a two or even a four would, would think it was bullying. Right. And the eight's just talking, the eight's just being direct and clear. And so that can get hung up. So the eight might call up that client and, and, you know, be very clear. Like if you don't return this, I'm not going to be able to do the work. And another type might hear that as being bullish or mean or too direct. It's just like doing their thing. Um, I would say they're very direct. They understand the importance of things. They're strong. They're leaders. And that's going to come through in their communication. Okay. This is good. I like this vein that we're taking. So let's, I think we're on nine. I will say this. We start in the Riso Hudson tradition, which is the tradition I'm trained in. We start at eight, which is not one, right? It's like most people would start at one. We start at eight because it's the beginning of that body center. And so there's a lot of things we say about like, you can almost hear as I talk about it, like I, I can feel my body actually as I'm talking about the eight. And so it gives us the energy to sort of get through all nine types. It's this funny thing that we do in the Enneagram world, but um, it's really, I don't know, it's beautiful work. Isn't so, there a joke that it also makes it so that sevens make it until the end? <laughs> yeah, so sevens stick around because otherwise we leave. I happen to believe as a type seven, I kind of think the sevens get shortchanged because everyone's ready to go. By then it's like a long, it's long. Um, and I'm always like, wait, I want to hear more about my type. Anyway, so the nine is, the nine is, um, again, they're in the body center. They are either really in touch with that body center or they're really have checked out of it. So they're, they, that's another teaching, but the three, six and nine in their centers are either showing you what it's like to be really in touch with that center or really out of touch. So the nine, you know, they are going to be a little more passive in their language. It's going to be a little bit of sure, whatever you want, very agreeable. What do you think? There's this way in which I would say that the nine sort of doesn't, um, they, they don't necessarily, they often don't want to offer an, a strong opinion. Um, they're, they're very laid back. They might come at the work. I would say sort of at these higher levels, I, this might be another helpful way to talk about this is at the higher levels, all of the types are going to, are going to understand. Um, let's see. So it, for a nine, it might be like, I, yes, I have opinions, but I'm not necessarily wedded to doing anything in a particular way. At the lower levels, their communication might just be passive. It might be non-existent. They might be very quiet in a meeting, I would say. Like if, if there's a nine sitting around a conference table, they're surely taking information in, but you really need to be calling on that nine in order to break them out. They will often be the last to speak because they don't want to sort of disrupt anything. They really just want things to be cool as a cucumber. And so um, there, there'll be a lot of, what do you think? What do you want? I'll do what you want. Go with the flow. And there's an assumption on their part, I think, that going with the flow is what their customer or their client wants. But as we know, sometimes we hire people because we want their opinion. We want their expertise. And so at the higher levels, the nine is going to understand that and provide it without being afraid that they're going to disrupt the apple cart, which is like really what their fundamental fear is, is that I'm going to upset things. I'm going to upset this person. I'm going to upset the flow. Um, 
I'll say one other thing about nines. It can sometimes look like they're not listening um, because they don't give a lot of nonverbal feedback. Um, but when they do communicate sort of at these higher levels, it's very clear. I always call them warriors because it feels like it's very clear, very concise. I think in the Enneagram world, we think Obama was a type nine. Is mm, it? Yeah. Um, so you might get that sense. Um, let's see. So one is the third type in the body center. They, ones at their best is our reasonable objective. They feel like, so I, the one in me feels like I can really tune into my client or my customer and I'm going to uphold the standards that practice. I'm going to be really in tune to like what the ethics are of my, of my work. I don't have anything to prove, but as that sort of, as we get farther and farther away from that sort of more conscious thinking, the one is going to want to make it perfect. If it's not perfect, it's my fault. I have to be so good that I'm beyond reproach. If I make a mistake, I might lose this client. I'll have to earn my way back. So there might be a lot of directives from the one you should, you'll want to. Um, there's this assumption. I think that there's a right way to do this and boy, do you want to know it? And I know it. So I'm going to let you know it. Um, they might correct you. Yeah, I have a friend who's a one and I was like, I asked a question in a group where and I was like, so how do you how do you both feel about being right? And she was like, I am always right. Like, I'm literally always right. And I was like, does she not see a world in which perhaps this is not the case? But I think I mean, I do think she's right a lot. Well, we make sure <laughs> so there's also right that. around being right. It, it's really I mean, honestly, it is. Um, like ones care a lot about social justice. I have, I happen to have a belief that cancel culture sort of starts with the one. Um, they have this strong feeling about something and they decide no more of that without sort of thinking, huh, maybe what is the good that could come out of this or without sort of looking at sort of the third side to this anyway. So the one is, um, it, they're great teachers, preachers, um, they just understand that the world is fundamentally good and, um, and they're going to show you, but uh, you know, as they come away from that higher side, it looks pretty judgmental and pretty critical. Um, yeah, but it'll be done right. I mean, the thing will be done right. They might be, yeah, while they're doing it, but they're going to be yeah, really <laughs> beautiful. Um, yeah, I, just as a sidebar, I sat on a jury, you know, this, I sat on a jury for four days last week and it was really interesting to watch. I was, I actually didn't, I didn't get to know people well enough to be able to sort of even sense necessarily type, but I thought a lot about type and, you know, that person who like walks in without hearing all the information and already knows the verdict, knows what they believe the verdict should be. That's, that's an example of what type one might look like. Um, I imagine sitting on a jury with other people and observing their personalities was like a day at the beach for you. Or four days at the beach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. And it wasn't actually usually like I could just have an interaction with someone and I have a sense of their type. I think because this was like so focused and maybe I just wasn't focused on it. Um, what I really noticed was what we call harmonics, which we won't necessarily talk about today, although it figures into this. But we know I noticed um, withdrawn competency mm. and assertive like I noticed and, and positive outlook. I noticed like some some of that stuff, some of the other energetic stuff. Anyway. So moving into the heart center, type two. So let's, we're, you know, we'll go back to that example of like the unreturned contract. You know, they're just, they're very relational types. Like they're going to um, just see themselves as helpful people. So um, 
they'll hang in there with that person not returning the contract. They won't want to push back on that, probably. Um, they just want to do a good job for them. They want to have a strong relationship. So that's the thing they're going to protect. So, you know, um, is there anything I can do to help you get that contract back? Like, what are you thinking about the contract? I'm here to help you with that contract. You know, the focus is really going to be on that customer, not on the two's need to get the contract back. Um, and there's also this sort of assumption that in, in their lives that you need more help than they do. And so there, it, it can very much be a, no, I'm fine. What do you need? How can I help you? Me, I don't need anything. What do you need? Um, at the higher levels, they really do understand that I have needs and you have needs. We all have needs. That's okay. And let's work together. But at the average, it's really very outward focused. Okay, we had a little glitch in our um, our recording, so we've switched over to Zoom. So hopefully everything sounds still copacetic. Um, so I have something funny to add about the two and the being helpful. Um, someone came into She Built This and talked about like selling from your natural instincts, from your natural place of <laughs> selling. And I wanted to try out, which is not my natural approach, <laughs> but I wanted to try out like being helpful in trying to get somebody to close a contract with me. Ah. So uh, yes, this is fun. So I reached back out to her and I was like, Hey, Sally, we'll just call her. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I was getting you everything you needed as far as information. And like, I'm just like over the top, like trying to be helpful, basically like, what can I do to help you make this decision? And she writes back the in essence, it was like, bless your heart. Like it was, it was sort of like, oh, if you need business, like I'll try to refer people to your way, your way, but I've decided to go with somebody else. I'm so sorry. Like I'm not supporting your business, but I'll definitely keep, keep you in mind for other people. And in my head, I was like, no, I don't need you to support <laughs> my business. I just wanted to get this done so we can get started on it and get working. Like that is not what this is about. So I learned my lesson to not be helpful in my communication and just be my natural self, which is like, hey, let's get this going. Well, I actually love what you raised there because like even in my own little head, you know, it's like, oh, well, who is actually the two in that? Because she actually sounds like she is potentially has some two qualities. But what's really interesting is like, this is what relationships and communication, this is where the things go. If we're not present, like if it's sort of like if we're not, oh, I'm trying to think of other language for it. If we're not aware of the stories that we bring to the table, we will interpret what she says in a particular way. She may have been condescending. She also may have just been mm. really, really generous. And not, <laughs> that's so true. Right. But if you have a lens of like, you know, she sees me as <laughs> pathetic or, you know, pit, she's pitying me or whatever it is, like that's how you're going to hear it, even if that's not what she means. And as you can imagine, like we're talking about business here, but this is like why wars start. Like this is literally yeah. like why major generate, like people stop speaking to each other over some of this stuff. And, it, if I sometimes just wish like, oh, wait, if you just knew your lens, you might be able to look at it differently, you know? So I think it's really, um, I love that example because we have zero idea, right? What she actually meant. We do know how you received it. That's it. I, I will say she returned back to me after the other woman let her down and, she, and I got the project done, <laughs> but you're right. It was totally a story in my head about like what was happening. So 
All right. Which let's... is also a reason, just to say this, Emily, like, which is also a reason that if you had reacted differently, she wouldn't have come back. Like if you had been like, you know, I don't need you, like, you know, whatever <laughs> could have happened, if you were sort of not as conscious as you were, you could have just, you know, that relationship probably that that business wouldn't have come back. So just constantly being aware of, yeah, this like, how do I want to show up right now? Um, is when really- we when we get to my type, I'll I'll share how I would re- how I actually would react, and we'll see if it lines up with what you. With Ooh, what you say. Okay. interesting. Okay, so uh, we're on type three, I believe. Um, so type three again in the heart center, like wanting to be seen as um as valuable and and actually is you know valuable um so like at that higher side there's this real sense of being in touch with what they bring to the table um they really understand that they're that they have inherent value you know and um and i produce what's active i was asked of me to produce or you know i show up in my work the way i show up in my work and i'm effective um i just generally do a good job but as those levels i was able to go down those levels there's this sense of chasing that value like easily feeling like a failure, maybe getting a little wiggly with honesty to like come out looking good to a boss or to a customer or a client. Um, You know, the three might be if a client calls and says, hey, where are we at with this project? They might um, over oversell it or over um, um, over speak how far they how much they've done on the project or whatever, because they really can't stand not being seen as valuable. And so there's very much in the communication style. It's like, well, I'll take care of that. I can do that. Might be the first hand raised, you know, oh, let me take that. Let me do that. Um, there's this, this is when you get the bullet bulleted list back of like all the features and benefits of their service and why you yes. should hire them. Yes. <laughs> These are the funnels I get caught in. <laughs> that is really, that is really funny. Um, yeah. There's this assumption that you're not going to see their value. So they're going to show it to you. And, um, and it's, they have a reputation for being competitive. And I actually would argue that that again, another part of this is instincts. I think that has something to do with instincts. Cause I don't think all threes are competitive. Um, but they really are going to focus on what they can bring to the situation, their experience, their valuable, their value rather, um, they're really agreeable, really generous people. But again, like as we sort of go down those levels, you can't be that for everybody. And so you can't be, you can't, uh, sort of be the best client, customer, parent, friend. So eventually something's going to happen there and you're going to burn out. So it's really paying attention to like, what actually can I bring to the table? Um, and, um, and just showing up authentically is really an important growth curve for the, for the three. I have a type three child. And so I, I do see this a lot. Um, really, really effective. Like in our culture, I would argue type threes are probably the most valued type in the American culture. Um, yeah. The most praised. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. would argue. Yeah. Like the word success is around a type, like, you know, uh, but you could be, a, you could be someone who's like a priest and be a type three. You're just like the best priest, you know, um, <laughs> the most successful priest. Yeah. It's the not about conversion. <laughs> so that's like how we, how we talk about it. Um, most, most conversions and least confessions. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That is, that would be a good book. Um, type four. Okay. So their communication style 
is going to be, well, I'll say this in the business world. I tend to think that there are people like the, in the type four in all of us is that it's the type of us that wants to offer something really different, something really beautiful, a little outside the box. It's unique. It's sort of like, well, I see the world this way and this business and this system, and I do it all a little differently. Um, and at the higher levels, we, we understand that those who are drawn to our work are drawn to our work and those who aren't, who aren't. Um, there's meaning in it. And it's like, I believe in this, even if you don't, but as we sort of go down the levels, become less conscious, are stressed, insecure, there's a real push to, um, to, I have to offer something outside the box in order for me to be noticed or seen. It's like people won't understand how deep and meaningful my work is if I'm not sort of shoving it down their throat, a deep and meaningful work, you know? It sort of has to be out there or I had a really fun time writing a writing website copy for a type four. And it was all this. It was all about being out of the box, pushing boundaries, um, being distinctive, distinctively you. It was exactly that. And it was fun. Uh, but it was all that kind of language. Yeah. It's like if if I don't push this, then who am I? Right. It can really feel like I my whole identity is tied up in being different. So it all has to be kind of radical. And so then there's this sense of in, in the actual words are sort of like, well, I'm not sure you really get me or I'm not sure you really get it or I'm not really like that. Like, I wonder, actually, Emily, when if you're comfortable saying when you were working with this person who identified as type four, was there any pushback on the way you were writing it? Maybe you understood her enough or him enough to, to know. But I tend to think there's this like no one can capture my work because it's so out there. It can really it can really seem like that. Did you did you run into any anything like that? I will say that I think that that's how she went in, but I think that I did really listen closely and did a great job of showing her her like in the first. So I always do like a kind of like a tone check, you know, like show show people what they're saying to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that we nailed it. And so it helped her kind of be like, oh, she does see my uniqueness. You know, it was it was exact. But I could tell that at the beginning she was a little like, I don't know if this girl's going to be able to get this. Yeah. Well, and I actually, it hadn't occurred to me, you and I've talked a lot about the Enneagram. It hadn't occurred to me until right now about how much knowing Enneagram types could really help you because there, even just if you sensed that she was a four or that this piece about her was really important of being a little dramatic or um, uh, being different, being radical, you, you don't even have to acknowledge that with her. You can just write to that. You know, it's this way in which we, when we start to understand where people are coming from and that it's actually different from me, we can have more empathy. We can provide a service for them as long as we're maintaining our own integrity too. And I think that's what all of this is about. It's like, who am I and who are you and how are we going to be together as opposed to like, I'm going to show up just as me, or I'm going to show up just focused on you. That doesn't ever work. Um, and so there's this blending. So I could imagine as a writer for you, that knowing type would be, could be really helpful. You're like getting me like excited right now, because I mean, com communication, conversation, relationships, like content, it all boils down to the same exact thing. It's basically just a bridge between another person and us. Mm -hmm. And so I love all of this. And I'm like, actually, you you have my wheels turning about something else down the road. Like, ooh, how can we include the Enneagram in our writing? So anyway, we'll table that. <laughs> yes. yes. And you know, a lot of authors use the Enneagram as, as character development. They use it to develop their characters that are because otherwise all their characters sound like them. 
So I've been paying attention in like shows and, and movies and things like that. Like I know you and I have had this conversation, but in the Enneagram and how it shows up in fiction, cause it is really, really fascinating. Um, and I'm reading a totally stupid chick chick book right now. I don't know what you call it, but every character is the exact same. And I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> it has like zero excitement for me. Cause every single character is the same. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's not great, but it's great that you're noticing it. Yeah. So, okay. So we'll go on to five. So we're heading into the head center. So these are people who, you know, I will say this about the head center. I think that the United States in particular does a really good job of having us all thinking about things. We generally aren't trained. We aren't raised to feel things in the same way or experience things with our bodies in the same way. And so a lot of people think they're in the head center. They come from the head center. I actually would have guessed I came from the heart center. I don't. Um, and the way I know that is because what I have learned about myself is that I think a lot about my feelings. Experiencing my feelings is a whole nother bubble game for me. And it literally feels like I'm going to die when I do. But it there's this physical sensation in my body when I feel a feeling. And I, I don't think I ever have felt feelings. I think I've thought about my feelings. I think I have... I have thought them. So anyway, so my husband has asked me like, or anybody has asked me like, how do you feel? I'm like, I don't know. I need to think mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I got to figure it out. Right. That's those, that's the language. So we haven't even talked about that part, but there are, there are often some cues when you're talking with people. And again, I, I hesitate, like for the lay person, I don't think it's a good idea personally to oh, they said, figure it out. They must be in the head center. Like I have a lot of, of experience in this. And so there's like a, a much more, um, there's a broader lens to look at human beings from. And so there's, but we're just talking about this one, but sometimes you can hear certain words and you're like, huh, I wonder, you know, and that can, um, that can help clue you in anyway. Um, so like, I will say this about the body center. Sorry, I'll back up there for a hot second. There are some words where I, when I hear someone talking about respect a lot, you know, like someone who has, who like in our example, like they don't respect me. That's not something that I generally come at the world with. So I, I can hear it differently. And I often think that's a sign of someone who's probably coming at the world from a body type. Th that doesn't really matter. What matters is that respect is important to them. So I can shift maybe a word that I'm going to use, or I might say, gosh, I really hear how important respect is to you. This must really bother you, right? I'm not saying it's not true that that person does or doesn't respect you. I'm just acknowledging that that's what this person is feeling because I hear the word respect. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Total sense. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to head into head types. Then we'll take this interview wherever you want to go. Um, so type five, um, yeah. So the language is going to be something. So type five is at the high level. They they just know things. They're very clear. They know what they need to know. They know they need, they know what they, let's see, they know they have, they know what they need to know in order to survive in the world. And I think at its lower side, there's this sense that like, I don't know enough. And so they tend to, like I said to you, when I got on the call, I was in a different place when I thought about this call a week ago. And right before the call, I started to think, oh my God, I need to do more research before I get on the call with Emily. Like that's the type five in me that can really feel like I don't have enough. I don't know enough, but when I'm present and I can just like, okay, feel my feet on the floor, take a breath. It just comes. Um, 
And our my the Riso Hudson tradition, Russ Hudson is um a teacher of mine. He wrote the literally, literally wrote the book on it, as my husband says. He wrote the book that I use in my groups. He ran the Enneagram Institute for a million years. He's teaching my certification class right now. He's a five. I've never seen him with a piece of paper in front of him. L- literally. He te- he taught five days of Enneagram classes. It was like eight to six and then another shift at night never had a piece of paper in front of him. He, wow. just it, he just lets it rise up and he trusts himself to be able to talk about this in a way that gives us what we need as students. That's this beautiful high type five. So their, their language style is going to be a lot of like, that's because let me tell you, you should know that there's this assumption that brevity isn't clear enough and that lots of context and lots of background is going to provide the clarity you need this weird paradox for a five where they tend to be a little quieter and a little more reserved, a little shyer, but also um, there's this sense that you need to know all of this stuff about it. And so to, to ask of, there's a phrase that was used about someone I know. Um, they, they said, when you ask her what time it is, she tells you how to make a clock. Um, <laughs> and I think, oh, that's type five right there. Um yeah. So, um, so there's that. My dad's a type five. You could ask him anything you like. He, he can't just watch a baseball game. He has to know everything about every player. He has to know, like, it's really, he knows their records. He knows, like, he just keeps, he's 87 years old. He still knows the law. Like his brain is so sharp still at this age. Um, really interesting um, guy. And it's his fiveness. You can imagine, like, I have such empathy. For, I mean, this is, this happens with all types, but just to use the five as the example, like if that's coming from a sense of fear, conscious or not, like that, that's what's driving it. And that's, you can, that's sad, right? Like, like we want people to trust themselves and, and to, to trust that they know what they need to know when they do actually need to know what they need to know. And that's the consciousness part. Like, is it actually true? Like, have I done the work? Um, so anyway, uh, that's, that's where I love the Enneagram is like, it, it provides, it gives me a step back to take, to have empathy for people where I might have in the past been a little critical or like not understood something. Um, so I mean, I think, yeah, even like where we are right now, having gone through all of these, you can look at all of these different communication styles and different reasons for communicating that the way they do and say, wow, I can't imagine what it would be like to like see life through that lens. That must be complicated for them in in their own way and have empathy for it. So I really also love that about it. Like that's, that's, I think why I love learning about different people so much um, is because it helps you to see things from a perspective that is not your norm. Yes. 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 We're not all the same. And I think you asked that as a broad stroke, no one would think we're all the same, but I think most people think we all, that generally there's a way to re- respond to something and there's a way to do this. And that's not the case. That's yeah. just, just not the case. So, so six type six, um, you know, there's this sense. I love this at the high side. It's like, and I actually, if we have time, I could tell a story about something, something that recently happened with a type six client of mine, but they just know what to do. They're here to guide you because you know, they just, they know who they are. They know what they need. They know how to fit into the world. They know what the next step is. It's like the next right thing. Cause they're awake. They're paying attention. They trust themselves. They trust you. They trust the world. There's this real solid, solid sense 
for um, the high side of type six. And at the lower side or the average to lower side, there's this sense of like paying attention to all the details. So it's like, uh, it, it, I, I have someone in my life that I, um, a client who pays attention to all the details and in turn is actually paying attention to none of them because it's just too much. And so there's this, there can be this real like, um, um, lot, they, they sort of lose what's important in that and, um, lose track of what's actually needed in this moment because there's just too much to pay attention to. And so the mind of a type six at the average levels tends to be pretty noisy, lots of stuff, like just, it is real. Most of my type six clients, when I do a, I do a presence practice at the beginning of every session and they can't sit still for that long. There's too much going on and they can't, it quiet, quieting their mind is really, really hard. Um, so the, Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to add, I think it's like a little bit of like reading between the lines, even when there aren't lines to read between or thinking like six steps ahead, you know? Yes. Yes. There's a, there can be a, it can be very confusing and I have a six wing. So I have this and I'm sure you've experienced this with me, but I like my mind can be noisy, but I, I can confuse people with the detail, right? Especially teaching Enneagram work. There's so many details and I think they want to know all of it right now. And it can be really confusing and giving more information than is necessary. But when they're present, it's like they say the right things. They, they know exactly what's called for in a situation. They sort of, um, they can, they can receive what's necessary and then respond as needed. So in the average way, the language might be, yeah, but what about this? Are you forgetting this? I'm not sure. Um, what do you think? I, I can't, you know, I just don't know what to do. But at that higher side, it's like, well, what do you want? What do you need? How can I help you? What's, you know, um, this is what I think. Um, here's the next step very methodical, um, in like a, and I use that word with res respect, like that in a, in a very helpful way, I actually would imagine Emily that your, you know, you, you talked about, um, your recent, the recent podcast you did, uh, I forget her name. What's her name where she wrote a blog about Mignon, Mignon, what's mm, Mignon yeah. Fogarty. Oh my gosh. That was like magical. Right. Like she's <laughs> like, she apparently like, and I haven't read it yet, but she's given you all these kudos around your process. That is, I would argue like a head centered process. And I'm not, that doesn't mean that someone who lives in the body center, the heart center, isn't going to do that, but it just happens to be like a superpower. Like you think through all the details, what is this person going to need next? What do I need? Okay. Let's, let me just ask for it very clearly, very succinctly, but in a way that's not unkind. Right. And that's, um, there's this whole thing where like, Type six want the whole picture um, and they don't want anything to be glossed over or dismissed. And, and at the high level, they know exactly how to communicate that. And people give me a lot of crap for my processes and my systems and my boundaries, my routines and all of this stuff. And I got to say, like, I know why I do it, of course. Um, but I, I know that it's also like helpful when you're actually going through it, like it does, you know, there's no confusion. Right. Um, I was thinking yeah. about my, my response to a, like actually how I would reply to somebody if I was not trying to be quote unquote helpful, <laughs> I would just tell them like, okay, I'm here for you when you're ready. And this is what we would do, you know, like 
I would just reassure them that I am going to be here for them. Even if I didn't think that I was going to have time in my schedule down the road, I would still let them know that I was here whenever they were ready. Yeah. You know what I love about that is it's making me think about for all types, there's no, like, we're not like trying to like discipline anybody in the types or like, there's no lesson. Well, cause I can imagine a response to you might be, well, they're not going to know. And they're always going to be late then if you don't, that's like not what we do at the higher level. We just say the truth. The truth is I I'll do my best to be here in the future and, you know, and maybe there's a deadline attached to this, but I can hold this open for this long. It's, but it's not in a threatening way. It's like, this is actually how I run my business period. There's no feeling attached to it. Right. And that feels really beautiful. And w- the receiver will receive it that way. If that's the intention, um, as you, as you send that out. Yeah. It's really, it's really beautiful. Um, yeah, there's something I was going to say, about the head centered folks too, is this thing about trust is like, you know, in that response, you trust yourself and you trust them. And it's not like, you don't need to lure them into your contract. You don't need to you know, bribe them or punish them or threaten them. It's like, you just trust the process. And that's the superpower of type six at the high side. They just trust. Um, I'm always saying like the time, as much as sometimes things happen that I'm like, this isn't supposed to be how it is. Um, I do always believe that like everything happens for a reason and exactly in the timing that it should, even though sometimes it does not feel that way. Mm -hmm. That's like my, that's like my belief in life. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's me too. And at that, again, at the high side, that's real. What I've learned, and this has been really hard lesson for me is that there, you know, at the low side, that can be a little toxic, like what we would call toxic positivity. Right. And, um, but I seven we'll move. It's a natural, we're going to move into seven now Na- sevens sort of naturally see the, the good thing, the good in everything. And so that's a beautiful quality to have with without ignoring the truth right like we don't want to ignore the truth and so that for me if i'm in a conversation with you and there's something really crappy happening for you and i'm just like but don't you think it's great you know that's not going to be helpful to you i need to also acknowledge that like wow that really sucks so a present type seven is going to be able to do both. Like at the high side, really what we're saying is at the high side, we all have choice. We can choose to respond in particular ways. But when we're running around in our personality at the average, in our type, as we would say, that's when we we take away choice because we're not conscious enough to know that there is a choice. And so, so for type seven, it's, um, you know, at the high side, it's sort of this recognition that every moment is new. Like I'm happy. I'm enthusiastic. I'm, I'm enthusiastic about my own situation and, and yours that I see a lot of possibilities for us. We'll work together. We'll find them in the, at the high side, like with this example, with the web, with the, you know, the contract it's, there's not going to be an, an assumption that it's all going to hell. It's it, there will be an assumption that like what's supposed to happen will happen. And I'm going to just let them know, Hey, this is how I can hold my contract for you. Um, I'm happy to work with you anytime you come back. I don't have feel. I don't have like. I don't have any like crappy feelings about the person. It just is what it is. But I also have to run my business. But at the average side, 
there might be, I might like send out another contract. I might send it out with like a different graphic or a different font. Like maybe they'll get it this way. <laughs> like there's like this, I'm going to find the newest, best thing that they're going to latch, you know. Um, it can tend to be a little bit disorganized, miss deadlines. It's also possible that the seven in that case is just going to blow it off you know, just going to blow it off. Like, well, whatever they left, they forget about it. They've moved on to a new client and there's no like, you know, checking back. Um, we're really busy keeping people happy. So there, there's lots of the language for a seven is like lots of superlatives. There can be some exaggeration in my family. So my family calls me Tina and they call it, is that a, they say, is that a TF? Meaning, is that a Tina factor? Which means, are you exaggerating? They could just say, are you exaggerating? But they say, is that a TF? And that means, have you exaggerated that like to the millionth degree? And it gives me a little check, like, well, maybe I have. Um, and usually I have. So we're great brainstormers. We have lots of ideas. We're very fast thinkers. Um, but the listener can have a hard time keeping up. And so even in this podcast with you, I... I have to, I'm really very consciously checking myself, like, am I going down this, like going into the weeds? Am I speaking too fast? Am I covering too much? Because my tendency would want to teach you everything and anything there is to learn about the Enneagram in this period of time. So um, the language for the seven, you know, it tends to be excited. Like, I can't wait to tell you, I'm so excited. There's a lot of don't worry, no problem. I'm fine. It's easy. Like there just is a lightness to the language, I think. Um, and and also like, again, I mean, you know, if I'm talking to someone who doesn't have that, that's going to be a little trigger for them. It's going to seem a little superficial. It's going to seem like we don't really under, a lot of people think sevens don't really get it because they're not disturbed by a lot, but that's how they protect themselves. And it, it it might be true that we don't get it, but it is also a protective factor. We may be very sad, but want to be sad away from you, or there's lots of reasons that that, that might happen. But, um, but in like with other people, they tend to be really upbeat and, um, um, and, and I guess just light. Um, yeah. Yeah. Since we're talking about light issues, um, I just want to touch on this quickly and then we'll, we'll wrap up, but, and I know this is not a quick conversation, but what do you see happening around like communication and shame and like not going into each of the specific types, but where do you see communication issues being a trigger or a factor in shame and how people feel maybe about themselves? So um, I want to make sure I understand your question. So what might cause shame? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I guess specifically yeah. like around communication. I'm going to say like um, mishaps. <laughs> so um, let me, let me, I'll take a stab at the question and you can tell me if I'm hearing it correctly. So what I, what I think shame comes from in general is when we aren't seen the way we want to be seen. So it's when we're misunderstood uh, okay, when yeah. you feel seen as belonging, um, when, um, when someone, uh, yeah, it's, it, for me, it, it's like a real, it's like a misunderstanding. It's very different from embarrassment in that way. It's like, this is who I see myself as, and you are mischaracterizing me. And that can feel really like shame is, I, I mean, even as you say it, it feels like a black hole in the body, right? It's, it feels, um, 
um, incidentally, universally, people experience shame as the color black and pretty universally people experience the the feeling of anger as the color red. Hmm. Uh, so it was just interesting. So I would say that. And so the two, three, and four tend to be pretty, um, shame is a, is a, is not an unfamiliar feeling for those three types, but all types feel shame. Um, that didn't answer your question about language, but well, no, I think it did because I think that's exactly what the gift and lesson in communication is, is using our communication to help others to feel seen and understood by mm-hmm. really giving them our attention and our presence and listening. Um, and, and I don't know the answer on the flip side. Like, I don't know what the answer is when it comes to us feeling shame because of what somebody else has communicated. But I know that in my own language, I can like help somebody not to feel that way by really listening and trying to seek to understand what they're saying and where they're coming at it. So I will say this about what you're saying. I think this is really, this is really great. Um, Well, so if I'm starting to feel a little shame, I feel it in my body. That's a good, first of all, I have to, I have to be able to feel my body in order to even recognize it. So that's partly, we do this in Enneagram work. We do somatic experiencing. You have to understand your body, your heart, your head, and the information that comes from each of those centers receive a different piece of information. So that's important. Um, But if I feel shame, I can now, because I've done this work, I can immediately pinpoint what it is, it's I'm not being seen the way I want to be seen. So I can check check that out. Like, and I might have to do some work myself, or I can sort of say to this other person, hey, let me clarify something. I think there's a misunderstanding, which is different from, hey, you're a jackass, you know, like, right, we can have actually have a conversation about the thing because we can identify the thing that's this thing between us that is causing a conflict. But without understanding that or having doing work with this, we might never understand. And we just start, we're just battling against each other. It's like, you're an asshole. No, you're an asshole, you know? And so that's this beautiful piece is that we meet people. Hey, I'm experiencing something right now. That's Mm -hmm. making me feel a little nauseous. As you say that it feels to me like you're not understanding where I'm coming from. What a different communication that is than going away and never coming back stopping speaking to the person or going head first into them, right? So we can have that experience. I would actually say that while we all feel shame, I would bet that eight, nine, and one might feel it, experience it, it a little more on with an anger edge to it or a rageful edge to it. And I think maybe six, seven, and eight might experience it um, in a, tr- like, you don't trust me um, or even just a sense of it might trigger some insecurity or some fear. Um, it's probably all shame to begin with, but it might come through a different language depending on it's it's a really interesting I mean I haven't explored the concept of it very much but I don't know like I'm trying to like think about like what does it feel like to be ashamed uh-huh. and I can't really I I mean I think I could think of an example when I'm like oh that actually was shame it just looked like something else or to me I thought it was something else um but I can't I, I don't experience I wouldn't say like I feel a lot of shame you know mm-hmm yeah I can definitely point to times in my life where I have felt it. And it is always because someone has 
like poked the bear in the place that is my most vulnerable, fearful like place. And it feels like, it does feel like shame. It's probably the worst. Um, I actually feel like I could feel shame in a different way. I don't actively feel fear, even though I'm in that center, but I think it's because I run from it before I actually feel it. Um, and that's why the seven is in that center. Um, but I, but I think ultimately, Emily, like what you've brought up in this question is this piece about communication. This is where some of the inquiry work that I do is really helpful is what a different experience if you are with a client or a customer or with even a partner and something you can, you're conscious enough to know that something feels off. You're just going to be, you're with this knowledge and with this inner work, you're going to be able to put a tiny bit of space between this feeling you have and your reaction to it. So it's like, oh, I'm having this feeling. So I might actually say again, like, you know, um, I'm not really sure when you don't return that contract, I just want to check in with you. You Things may have gotten away from you or you may not want the service and I just want to close the loop on that. Can you help mm. me? You know, it's a really different thing than the story we make up about what it actually is. And people listening here may say, oh, I never do that. I don't make up a story. Like I would, I would actually ask that you observe yourself and notice when something happens, what what it is that shows up for you. Um, and because we we believe our stories, so it doesn't feel like a story. An assumption feels like a truth most of the time, unless we're conscious of it. And we can say, oh, I'm making an assumption right now. What else might be true, right? And so that's like the work we do um, so that we can show up as human beings with each other, not as personalities or not as just business owners. It's like, well, I'm a human here and I just want to check this thing out with you. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. This was so good and like rich with <laughs> communication and different types of people. So, um, let's, I'm, I'm going to ask you a fun question now, which I feel like you'll love. Uh, but my fun question for you specifically is, um, what are you reading right now? Well, it's funny you should say that. So I have like all kinds of books, like because I love this, my work and my home, like, you know, intertwine all the time. So I'm constantly reading things that help me in my work. Um, so I have a bunch of those. I'm not even going to talk about those, but I'm trying to push myself to read more fiction. And I'm on some like listservs that have like, Hey, uh, here are all the Kindle books for $1.99 today. So I'm, I'm getting, so I'm buying a lot of books. And so I'm reading this book called next year in Havana by, I think Chanel Cleeton, I think is her name. And it's a historical fiction book about Cuba and a, a, a granddaughter who goes back to, um, learn about her grandmother's life in Cuba after she dies when she's, you know, whatever, uh, spreading her ashes. And so I've just started it and I'm, I, I like it. I just, I have to push myself to read fiction and I love it every time. So same. And this year that is like one of my big, big goals. Cause I'm like, it, I've read, you know, I can do self-help and entrepreneur yeah. help books all day long, but I'm, yeah. I do, I do need to just lighten up the mood a little bit and do some fiction. So, um, all right. How can we find and connect with you online? And then anything that you want to share about like, what is the best way for somebody to start doing this work with you? Sure. So, um, let's see, I can be found. I'm on, I I'm, I'm not, as you know, I'm not a lover of social media for a lot of reasons. I think partly because this work is pretty deep. And if I'm running a group, I don't really 
trust the um, algorithm and all that to not, I just, I get nervous. So I, I have a, I, I am on Instagram at granny hand coaching and I am on mighty networks, which is um, a, I don't even know how to describe it, but I describe it as a Facebook group without algorithms or there's no tracking or anything. And so that's where I run coursework. That's where I, I'm trying to show up there more. It's so tempting and easy to show up on Instagram that I do that. But what I am going to be doing, so as part of my teacher certification, even though I already teach, so I already teach, but I'm doing this other um, certification. And so I have to teach there a 15 minute course um, for the instructors on type seven. And so I thought, oh, wouldn't this be fun? I'm going to do, I'm going to teach on all nine types in Mighty Networks. Um, and so there's going to be, there'll be something in there soon that gives the schedule, but just, I'm going to show up and do a 15 minute class on type eight, a 15 minute class on type nine, a 15, at various times through the week. And that should be happening the end of April and, um, into May. And then, um, but you can join me in Mighty Networks. I pay for the, I pay for it. I don't pass that charge along to people. It's a free group for you. Um, and we do, we have conversations about the Enneagram, about inner work, about consciousness. I share resources there. Um, and you can get to that either through my website or in the link in my bio in Instagram at Granny Hand Coaching. Um, and it's called, I just changed the name. Um, it's called the Enneagram and Conscious Living. It used to be called, um, community, a community for inner work but now I call it, um, the Enneagram and conscious living. Okay. Awesome. And I'll make sure all of those links and the link right to the mighty networks group is, um, in are in the show notes. Great. So thank you. People can find them easily. And thank you so much for this conversation. You really made the bridge between April and, and May's theme. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.